an emergent one is much more about empowering. So all I can do is enable you to, to, to become. I suppose when I start to talk about the learner as the disciplinary domain, it's about internalizing that possibility, internalizing the possibility of applying different skills to different content in different contexts. What we're not doing is necessarily giving them a mark for emergent learning, so much as working with them to narrate that, to reflect, to think about them, you know, the, the development of their own knowledge and skill base, sort of thinking through metacognition. Hello and welcome to the Coconut Thinking Podcast. I'm your host, Benjamin Freud, and today's guest is Michael Bunce. Michael is an educator, researcher, and interdisciplinary sound artist with wide-ranging international experience across education and the arts. As an educational researcher, he specializes in interdisciplinary learning design and innovation, working in leadership, teaching, research, and consultancy roles in schools, arts, and community organizations, regulatory and advisory bodies, and universities. Now, I met Michael a few years ago at the Learn Life conference, and he was previously on the podcast probably three years ago. Now, his research has really shifted into quite interesting areas, specifically in terms of the cyclical nature of learning, going from structured to semi-structured to emerging to embedded forms of learning. And this conversation goes through this. I highly recommend that you check out the website, which is in the show notes, which is www.learningmap.education. That will kind of help you in terms of the visualization. Check us out, www.coconut-thinking.com. There you'll find more articles, you'll find information, hopefully some resources that might be of interest. That's www.coconut-thinking.com and I'll leave space for my conversation with Michael. Hi, Michael. I'm so excited to talk to you. Uh, We met up in uh, Woodley back in January. Uh, We had a previous episode, I guess, gosh, it was what, 2020 on the back of Learn Life. And I really wanna find out what you've been doing ever since. for those of you of our audience who might not have heard that first episode, just want to ask you, who are you and what story do you want to tell? That's a great question. So really good to, to be uh, with you again, Benjamin, and um, sharing sharing our, our, our sort of work and, and its interrelatedness there. Um, who am I? Well, my name is Michael Bluntz, as, as you, you've mentioned, and um, I'm currently working in Australia and South Australia, working um, with a group of schools in Adelaide in South Australia. And also uh, I'm a lecturer at Flinders University at Adelaide in, in, in South Australia. Um, the work I'm doing with schools is a research project that's um, sort of been in two parts. The first part we spoke about um, related to Learn Life and, and, and that was the Metapraxis project. Um, and that finished in 2022, a three year piece of work exploring interdisciplinary learning essentially and 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 thinking about ways in which we can create connections not only across disciplines but also to foreground the learner as the sort of disciplinary domain really rather than the, the, the subjects or the disciplines uh, driving that as the context um, and then that sort of brought up opportunities to look at how you know schools in their work to design projects and some of that was a bit like project-based learning other stuff was a you know perhaps looking at interconnected disciplines in in different ways but essentially uh, as i say foregrounding and uh, the learners experience and, and their direction um and, and we were starting to look at well how do you start to recognize um the impact of that like 
what's happening. We can't use um, traditional assessment methods maybe uh, that quantify, you know, against a sort of fixed model of knowledge because this is a sort of hybrid of different models, of different disciplinary spaces, um, interconnecting, uh, colliding in ways that are pretty much driven by the way that the students sort of navigating and, and deciding to, to sort of chart that journey. And, and um, so, the second project started in 2022, and that was the Learning Impact Project, and that that I'm now um, fully in, engaged in, and um, that finishes next year. So we've got one year ahead of that, and that very that's looking at the concept of impact, which I know connects back to something we were, you know, looking at uh, in Learn Life, and and that's how our sort of shared connection came. The concept of of impact as a as a sort of model for recognizing learning, um, and that idea of impact is something that's prospective as much as it is retrospective. So it's not only looking back and saying, yes, this was the plan for learning and this is the content that we've set up and structured um, perhaps as a teaching team or as a teacher or even as a learner. And this is what we got to. And let's compare the two and give a, give a tip based on how much of that was achieved, you know? Um, so that's the sort of retrospective approach, but, what about the prospective? What potentiality is there? What potential do we create in our learning experiences um, for new learning experiences, for new knowledge, for um, you know unexpected outcomes that uh, are perhaps highly individualized, so personal to each student? Um, the first of the those those models, I guess, those approaches, the retrospective tends to be fairly straightforward and linear in the sense that we start with you know the model of learning and knowledge and then we can we can kind of check against that um and fairly straightforward and simple perhaps the second of those is highly complex so the more we give over opportunities to you know students to um, explore their learning and navigate individually personally um the more we need to look for a sort of equivalent outcomes rather than similar ones. So, so that's that's what I'm doing at the moment. At the same time as um, so that's part of my research connected to Flinders University, and I'm also a musician. Um, I've been involved a lot in, in interdisciplinary sound design, sound work across disciplines with dancers and visual artists, other musicians, and so on. Um, and a lot of that work drove like conceptualization of the way that we might collaborate in learning across disciplines. Um, so I, I like to create, you know, music. I like to produce, I play piano, um, um, you know, into really into jazz and improvisation. Um, and a lot of that, you know, drives, drives the ideas that, that kind of, uh, you know, sit at the, at the heart of, uh, of uh, the work I'm doing. So that's um, that's a very long answer there to who am I and what am I doing right now. <laughs> and so if we think about this idea of, of perspective and comparing that to retrospective, the retrospective piece, we can kind of say, okay, this is where we are. This is the outcomes that we've achieved. I mean, I'm, I'm simplifying it in, in ways that, that uh, tend to happen in more traditional schools. So retrospective, this is what happened. You know, this is what I've learned. I've done my journals, but the prospective piece you mentioned that it's the complex piece. Um, it, it, in a way that that complexity, I wonder uh, how much of that 
comes from a sense of because it's different or because it's fearful or because you have to guide it. Because ultimately, as we let this kind of stuff emerge, it should be the easiest. Like we have an intention. Let's see where we're going to go and just throw it up and say, OK, it's not crazy, but let's see where we're going to go. How how do you how, how do you navigate that complexity? Then, or, or why is that the word that comes to your mind? Well, I mean, I think, well, fundamentally, I think learning is complex. And, you, you know, the, when we look at things retrospectively, perhaps from a traditional, in a traditional, traditional sort of paradigm, what we're doing is, is filtering. We're filtering that complexity by discipline. We're filtering it by a model of knowledge and learning um, so that we can look at it in a particular way. Now, that, that kind of sort of narrowing um, can be very focused and a very a way of developing high levels of specialization um, that perhaps then kind of a bit more routine um, that are about improvement and, and developing highly specialized ways of doing things better and better and better. And, um, you know, and that absolutely is an engine to drive, you know, a, a lot of different kind of endeavors, you know, and enterprises in, in, in life, in work, in learning. Um, but I think it is, it is sort of filtering, uh, something that is actually a sprawling sort of like rhizomatic like inequality to it which is learning finds its finds its wet pathways that are not they're not in straight lines they they're, they're sort of transversal they they make connections and, and sprout new roots um to yeah to to, to 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 explore i suppose for for a learner so i agree with your second statement there which is that yes we might think about talking about this emergent space is more complex. Well, it's probably it probably looks more complex, or let's say complicated, from the perspective of someone in the traditional paradigm thinking about that sort of linear approach. But when it's non-linear, which I think learning is by its very nature, so it's sort of combination of the two. It's a, it's a spectrum. Um, you know, actually, what we can do is if we look at it, if we look at that learning from the perspective of a traditional assessment paradigm, then it's it's hard to look for the similarities that exist. Um, whereas if we look for equivalence, so we're looking for equivalent impact across different learners and their learning in different contexts with different content and different modes of learning and inquiry applied. Well, we can only look for equivalence. We can't say, well, this is the same and therefore you get 85%. Um, we have to say, well, from your perspective, thinking retrospectively about what you've achieved based on what you in, your intention compared to what you perceive as the potential in your learning um, and what that offers, an, offers as an opportunity for new inquiry. It's the combination of those two things that's really crucial. Um, and so, so I think, I, I mean, I'm mean, sort of agreeing, agreeing with you that, that actually that second phase where you're looking at enabling students in the learning context to emerge as learners in different ways in a completely exploratory way, let's say, um, Actually, it's a natural, authentic process that if you look for equivalence um, and realize that you can't use the same modes of assessment or same modes of evidencing, uh, then it is a more naturalized process. And, and perhaps then, you know, and this is sort of part of the work that I'm doing, is that we need to just adapt and modify and, and allow to emerge new modes of, of, of evidencing so that we can, uh, you know, show that work and show the impact of that learning as learners uh, once we've sort of you know left that learning situation or left school or gone into work and and um so it's a sort of different a different way of looking at it i suppose is what i'm what i'm calling for in this work um 
but I do I do see those two things as a, as a spectrum. So particularly if you're thinking about the relationship between teacher and student uh, and power dynamic that sits there, or if you think about you know the collaboration between learners that you might reframe it as is it, if you're thinking as a sort of is it, if it's a collaborative inquiry that you're, you're, you're engaged in um you know there are there are there are, there are different points of emphasis so you move from specialization to generalized approaches you know in ways that are completely dynamic and perhaps oscillating and and in a way you know the work that i've been trying to do is to authenticate in the in the deepest authentic way of thinking about the word authenticate um, the idea that a math test score is just as relevant as a, a, a student learning um, sort of inquiry project that has found new avenues and new ways of working and then features a lot of sort of reflection from students uh, and and because you, you you sort of need both and I, I, one of the things I'm really keen to do is to work with learners and teachers and schools to see that it's the expertise in being able to navigate that movement between those two places. Um, that's which you might think of as sort of transferring knowledge and skills between contexts and, um, and working across disciplines, being resourceful full and enterprising. Um, that, that that's the that's really the sort of meta learning pattern in a way that, that, that we're striving for. And I think of all the conversations that I've had where, you know, I've, I've uh, gone through in my mind and, and, and aired in, in some of the ways that I've thought and kind of brought it back and aired some more and then really consolidated my own thinking. And that was in itself the process that, that you're that you're mentioning, this emergence, this let's let's have those things. And it eventually it solidifies into something actually I can say, I feel confident about this. Not everybody might agree, but I feel confident about this. And specifically in terms of this idea of of learning and and this this false uh, uh, dichotomy between traditional ways of assessment and something else, and you can't have you know you're if, if you're doing something that's a little bit wacky, then clearly you're not val you know valuing the content. But but it's just so much more than that. As a historian, you still need to be able to kind of um, periodize. You still need to know which which dates are which, who's what, you know what the power dynamics are, and there's a certain craft there. Uh, but at the same time, the way the ideas come about and the way they interact with other ideas and, and form third ones. I don't mean like in this, in this dialectical way, but, but certainly in that encounter, those things are unpredictable. Why, why do you think that it's challenging to hold both of those realities of the structured and the emergent? Which I'm creating binary there, but I, I don't mean to, I'm just trying to actually create some, 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 poles of differentiation. I don't want to create that binary either. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I, I, I might at some point refer to, you know, the, the, the learning impact map as a, as a reference to that sort of non-binary sort of cyclical approach. But um, why is it difficult? I mean, I think it, it is difficult because I think there's a, a predominant systemic approach, which is the structure that's it's knowledge oriented, it's content driven, it's routinized, uh, predominantly industrial, it's sort of coming from a, a pattern of industrialization. Um, we don't necessarily need to go all the way back to, you know, the sort of Victorian times. Um, to look at that, it, it, you know, that's sort of evolved and through various iterations. And I think, um, you know, schools are very much set up for that. And, and 
to develop high levels of spe specialization within those disciplinary areas and and um you know and, and a good job they do of that and i think what we're starting to see i think um you know across in, in your work and in, in, in work in australia and work in the uk and and and, 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 and um, north america and, and you know I, I may as well name every every region <laughs> because because what's emerging is a, is a much greater emphasis on the learning process rather than uh, knowledge and content driven um, approaches to, to to teaching and learning. And I think so. There is a sort of there is a, a certain drag that comes from the how how comfortable the the process of the of, of the structured um, approach is because all of the institutional structures, the, the structures around progressing from one institution to the next uh, are determining this, this approach uh, of increased levels of specialization. Um, and and less, there's less emphasis on, on the fact that the way that learners learn, the way that they think about their own learning, so how they can reflect and sort of and the more we think about sort of meta intelligence um you know their ability to sort of be self-reflective is you know the system's not so well set up for it i think predominantly so there's a tension that where something that's sort of content heavy is more predictable something that is focused on you know, hybrid ways of working, exploratory ways of working, emergent learning processes that are student-driven, well, that's much less predictable. Um, but if we can come away from the need for it to be predictable and we, and, we, and we can start to think about much more open ways of thinking about that, so prospective, not, its value is not in what it, what, what it's, what it is at that moment in time so much as what it can become. Uh, and I think we can think about that as a, an instance of learning, but also in terms of you know students' own personal development. That's that's who they are. I mean, and I think in, in your work you've talked about you know um, not beings but becoming. You know, I think there is that sense of perpetual emergence and growth if 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 we're able to look at that. So um, I think I think we're we're starting to learn how that how that operates. So to give over, there's a sort of power dynamic, but also to give over agency to students. And I say give over in a, a sort of, you know, inverted commas there, because, you know, it's not something you can give so much as what, what, what you enable. Um, and I think, you know, the more we enable students to guide their own learning, to be more aware, to be more conscious um, of their learning process, and to feel comfortable with that. Uh, you know, to, so, so what we're doing is, you know, if we're thinking about the power relationship, structured process is about a, a power dynamic that is, I have the knowledge, I'm imparting it to you. Uh, an emergent one is much more about empowering. So all I can do is enable you to, to, to become, um, and I can resource that. I can guide you. I can give you, you, you know, um, ideas and pathways and pointers and, and, and scaffolds and so on um, that may help you to get to that place. Um, and eventually, of course, these are going back to the learning impact map, you recognize that you're involved in cycles. So you might start in a structured space, developing concrete skills. It may be then that you have more levels of greater levels of agency in being able to direct yourself around that curriculum. Um, so it's a sort of semi-structured, space where you synthesize different skills. Um, 
And as you not only increase levels of agency, but then recognize that the learner is becoming the source of new knowledge and skills, you start to get into a sort of exploratory emergent learning process where the student has high levels of agency. The knowledge, source of knowledge and skills is with the, the, the learner. And so you as a sort of teacher, sort of, you know, anecdotally, I guess, um, you don't have direct control anymore. So you, so you, you can only, you only have an indirect influence. So you can shape the culture, you can enable through resourcing, you can create open spaces for exploration and so on. Um, and of course, what we what we what we then see is not a sort of movement through those in a, in a perfect circle, but more of a messy oscillation. So that when students need to, they come away from a learn, emergent learning situation because they need to dive into some concrete skills development, which will then springboard the next thing. So, you know, you mentioned earlier on going from these sort of fixed states to the more open ones. Um, and I like to use, uh, you know, sort of referencing um, Deleuze and Guattari's work around this idea of territorialization. So um, we, if we think about learning as a kind of knowledge as a sort of territory, um, then we might think about that structured space as a kind of landscape. It's a geographical map that, that is the disciplinary space it's a disciplinary curriculum if we're looking at the sort of exact opposite of that we're not thinking about the landscape of learning so much as the weather sorry the landscape of knowledge so much as the weather of of learning it's something that's based around intensities and and, it, and it's so, so you might think about that as a sort of pressure system in, in a meteorological map and so the difference between those two spaces you know, we do go through that cycle of this concrete knowledge. It's 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 a territory of knowing, um, and then we open that up so that it gradually becomes an intensity where students are, you know, exploring the various intensities of of an exploratory learning process, which sounds to to reason. Um, and and in that process, we embed new knowledge, a new 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 understanding that becomes a, a new concrete kind of territory for us as individuals. And I think it's that process of recognizing how, you know, the structure is important, the open exploratory space based on learning intensities is just as important. So, um, so it's, so it is, why is it difficult? I think it's difficult because we don't put enough emphasis on all of those particular points in, in you know, in, in the round. And, um, and maybe it's always a process of sort of going through, going from structured to semi-structured, and then you, you know um, you, you're doing the best that you can within that discipline, rather than thinking about the point at which that power shift has changed and students leading and driving the process of learning. And I'm going to take your reference to Deleuze and Guattari about the territorialization and, and bring about deterritorialization and re-territorialization and even th th throw in some idea of dominant narratives of the fact that there are certain um, uh, powers that be that don't want that to happen. They want to keep in the territory and, and keeping us fixed to this one territory with this one map. Um, there's certainly a social power play here. But of course, the schools are are held accountable to X, Y, and Z, and and so th there's just not that political possibility. No, absolutely, and I think it, it only doesn't only serve as a metaphor, but it's the pervasive way of organizing the world. You know, in terms of territories and um, you, you know concepts of discovery. Um, the, you know, the next frontier in learning is a territory that we is on the horizon. Uh, I, I mean, I think we've sort of 
certainly was not <laughs> much more land to discover, let's say, in inverted commas, because of course, who's doing the discovering and and who's experiencing, you know, who are the, who are the um, yeah, how you frame that depends on who is, is involved. Um, and I think those, the politics of that exists then in, in, a, in a school because you, you know, your the training of a teacher is based around the discipline in many, in, in often because their specialization is, is something that they're imparting as knowledge. Um, interestingly, of course, you know, you look at teachers who work in primary schools or junior schools where there aren't the sort of disciplinary silos or disciplinary structures that set to separate that learning process and that emphasis on learning. You know, I think there's, there's something about the dynamic nature of that process that could, could be lent to a university, for example, or, or and, and secondary high or high schools, you know, because it's, it's recognizing that it's that exploratory space where, you know, significant development happens, I think, for, for, for learners. Um, and, and that, you know, comes using the word territorialization is, is loaded. Um, and I think, but it does speak to this idea of we're, we're territorializing, we're creating concrete structures for what we know. We deterritorialize as we open up and we start to deal more in, in, in these sort of open intensities and then re-territorialize. We, we embed new knowledge and understanding to become a new landscape. So that that idea of different types of maps i think it's really important you know and and for individual learners to consider you know what that their map looks like and and, and how they move from structured to semi-structured to open and then spaces and what are the previous learning experiences they've had that that are embedded that are part of their kind of internal sort of territory of, of, of knowledge and, and learning so it's yeah it's, it's um it is politicized it's often you know the structures are financial the structures are historical you know the the, the, the um, traditions that exist within the school and its culture can can often you know bring things to a, uh, a point of not really moving or changing sometimes you know so i think that's that that, that is something that's quite difficult to to challenge or, or to transform sometimes and it takes quite a lot of effort and multiple points of change for, for those things to to, to, to happen um, and when it does it's amazing you know when 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 schools are able to demonstrate with their learners that they're a, a focus on more dynamic learning processes uh, you know like those that you you were sharing at Woodley you know um, that are embedded in sort of in the natural world and, and thinking about a sort of ecosystem of learning um, that situates the situated, uh, you know, um, around that learner. It's, it's incredible. It's an incredible, an incredible outcome. And, and I think there are really interesting, interesting um, things to learn from, from, from that. Sure. And this is what I think really hits home to me talking about these territories in there and these maps, mm. we're not throwing away the old maps. No but we just appreciate that certain maps are useful for certain things. Yeah. So others more useful and sometimes they're useful at some point and not useful to others. Yeah. It's just not right or wrong. It's what's useful. Will this work? Exactly. Exactly. In, in designing this map, which I will not try and describe, but one of the things that sort of that sits there is this, is this thing way of thinking about disciplines as being made up of content 
contexts and then sort of processes of learning, which you could also think of as capabilities if you want three C's, but, you know, so this sort of content context and um, capabilities. If we're able to think about those are often sort of bound up together in different disciplines. So if I'm in maths, there's a fixed set of content, potentially, you know, depending on level of, you know, school or university, but let's say there's a fixed set of content. There are certain contexts in which that may play out and be expressed or used and applied. Um, and then there are certain processes that we apply, certain routines of learning, certain routines of calculation and, you know, algorithms, let's say, um, processes that, that, that sit there. And they are interconnected. Um, one of the things I'm interested in is, well, what happens if you work dynamically with those three sort of elements? And you say, well, what if we could um, take the con have one disciplinary context as the context for learning, apply different processes within that space and think about, in, you know, then including other new content. So you end up with this sort of hybridized combination of content, context and, and capabilities um, or process, learning processes. And that gives you a way then of thinking about a sort of, a, a sort of dynamic curriculum structure that, that and enables you to borrow and, and mix and match and hybridize the, 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 the knowledge base in a way that's not just about saying, and I'm, I'm using the word just because there, there aren't many um, acronyms that I can think of two, two or maybe three, but you know, it's not, it's not just about having science, technology, engineering, and maths, or add an A and it's, we include the arts as, as, as um, you know, excellent as the work that comes out of those learning processes can be. Um, what if we could just have interchangeable letters, <laughs> you, you know, and a student could decide what that is. Um, you know, one of those combinations, what are those disciplinary connections that we can make? And in a way that's what I suppose I'm, when I start to talk about the learner as the disciplinary domain, it's about internalizing that possibility, internalizing the possibility of applying different skills to different content in different contexts. And, and then at the meta level of that, looking, rising above that and saying, ah, what do I, what have I learned from this exploration, this hybridization? What's the potential that comes from that? Um, and it might be that one of those core elements is a very straightforward, structured learning process or, or going back to maths, a, a piece of calculation that, that underpins the entire inquiry. Um, so, so these different processes, these structured, semi-structured, emergent, embedded processes can must coexist there's there's always content content and con content oh, there we go see i can't even say too many see content contexts and, and capabilities and processes they're always there it's just about which what are you emphasizing um and i think so so I, I suppose part of my hypothesis is that when we're in the structured space the greatest amount of emphasis is on the content and connected to that is the context in which that content content is applied and perhaps then less so there are skills that sit within that arrangement going to the other end of the spectrum if we're in an emergent exploratory learning situation the content and the context are less important and what becomes much more relevant is the learning process so if we're thinking about like critical thinking as a as a as a sort of complex capability some elements of critical thinking are going to be you know, based on specific scenarios, contexts, and to apply to specific content. Um, but others are about applying ways of, of developing awareness, inquiring, um, you know, 
developing arguments and, and, and debating and so on and so forth that are skills in themselves that are content independent to a certain extent. So that going back to that question of well, how do you how do we manage that tension of moving from structured to emergent or allowing those two to coexist? It's it's about then emphasizing points of emphasis. So if we can put more emphasis on criticality to enable a student to navigate an unpredictable emergent learning process, we're empowering them. It, if they need to have specific content knowledge and, and skill sets that sit, sit in, in mathematics or geography to enable them just, you know, to be scaffolded towards that or for them to go back to develop you know, greater depth in their in their understanding, um, then that's how they coexist. They're they're, they're mutually um, interdependent, and and you know that's the, really the point of the, of the map for me, for me. That it's saying, well, this is this map is about emphasis on particular processes and, and uh, of learning within any kind of learning situation. So this is just as relevant to have you know a maths test grade as it is, as I mentioned before, you know, to have a very deep portfolio, deep, deeply exploratory, exploratory portfolio of work um, coming out of a, an inquiry-led project. And this is, I guess, the big question that people will have is like the, the, this equivalency, the, the, uh, the, this, this way of, of holding that, that makes sense and, and actually also has a certain amount of value to it and worthiness and, and trust because the, the situation systemically is, is the evidencing. Yes. But the evidencing has to be evidenced somewhere. And that's where documentation happens and documentation has to be legible by everyone, um, because of the constraints there. And, and, and I, I wonder how it translates from something that is emergent that may not be always grasped. I don't use the word capture on purpose, grasped, evidenced, documented, and read. Like that's a distillation process that, that is quite risky for, 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 for what you're doing. How, how do we navigate that? Yeah. So, so I run the risk of um, describing something poorly that needs to be seen. Um, so just as a, as an aside now, and then perhaps in the in the in the notes of the podcast, um, I, I've set up a website um, that hosts a, a tool, a learning impact mapping tool, that I will sort of you know describe now in terms of its like the use of it and its process. But that's learningmap.education, um, um, and and that's that's its the sort of intro web address. Um, the idea of how you hold that for me is so if you can think about a map that that's a sort of circle with four poles and um bottom left you've got the structured learning process top left is the semi-structured so where we've moved from if we're thinking about agency as a spectrum so in that structured learning process students have lower levels of agency because the teachers directing the learning process, the contents fixed, the curriculum's fixed, we're routinized going through a process. And if we increase levels of agency, then the curriculum may be the same, the content of that curriculum is the same, but what we're doing is increasing levels of differentiation, perhaps initially, and then we move into a situation where we're scaffolding students to d develop greater independence. And then 
perhaps towards the top, what we're doing is saying, okay, we're going to chunk this into separate sort of little modules or, or chunks of, of, of the curriculum and allow students to navigate that. So going from the structured to the semi-structured, you can imagine being able to say, okay, part of a student's learning experience sits down there in the bottom left. And another part of it is, let's say, top left. They've, they've been able to demonstrate development of concrete skills and then apply that in, in a way that is led by them, self-managed, you know, in a modular way. So now if we can, so that's, that's a sort of Y axis from, in terms of levels of agency. But then if we start to think about, well, who's the source of knowledge and skills development? How is it exchanged? How is it transferred? Then that's the X axis. So in, in this situation I've just been describing, where we're going from structured to semi-structured, predominantly the source of knowledge and, 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 and skills you know, and capabilities sits with the teacher for, for them to impart that because it's a fixed curriculum that's maybe set by the system or set by the school or set by the teacher for the student to learn, for the student to develop a, a, you know, skills and knowledge through. If we, if we could move across to the, to the right of this, this um, map, well, what we are recognizing is we're moving on the x-axis from a situation where the start, let's say the teacher or the system is the source of knowledge and skills all the way to the other end of the spectrum and we're saying, well, the student is the source of knowledge and skills. Then we get this intersection of knowledge exchange and agency. And so on the right-hand side of that map, as we go past that midpoint, the teacher is no longer directly in control because the student is in control of the process. So that gives us, let's say, four quadrants. And we've got top right is the emergent process where students are, have high levels of agency, so they're directing the learning process, but they're also the source of new knowledge and skills. So they're developing capabilities, exploring um, and, and hybridizing to create new outcomes and new opportunities and new potential in their learning. So that's this high level of agency, and they are developing new knowledge and skills. Where the knowledge or skill set is part of, is, is you know, derived by the student, sits with the student, but where they have low levels of agency or, or awareness, then we might think of that something that's then embedded in the student's context. So that could be their prior learning experience. It could be what's inherent to them as a learner. So this bottom right quadrant is what's embedded. And if you think about what is it that we bring with us to a learning situation? What's the history of our experience that we that we then bring into that space that might sit within a discipline? You know, oh, I've had a didn't enjoy my French teacher last year, so I'm kind of a bit grumpy about it this year, kind of thing. Or, you know, I've had some really fantastic teaching from this teacher in this space, and actually the the way that they empowered me as an independent learner, you know, is giving me a is embedded within me and inherent to me now is this new positivity about inquiry and feeling safe to explore. So we end up with these four quadrants and they're four different situations. And I guess just in the most simplistic way um, by describing it, you can imagine a learning experience that say that uh, maybe it's a, a week long project in which a student is able to demonstrate an evidence of the structured concrete skills development, a semi-structured process where they've self-managed something based on a set of knowledge or a curriculum or you know, materials and resources that a teacher's um, organized. You could also imagine that within that 
situation. They're bringing prior learning. They're bringing their understanding of the world. They're bringing new sort of physical understanding and, and um, you know, an emotional understanding. They're bringing, you know, the history of, of, of collaboration in their lives. Um, so there's something that's embedded with them. And, and it may be if you're working with a single cohort that they also have a shared embedded experience that they bring. So that could also be evidence perhaps in, in a reflection or in a way of thinking about how my prior learning is connected to this new experience. And likewise, we could then say, well, you know, you led this process of learning, you found out new things, and you have updated your capabilities as a result. How do you, so then you might get a student to reflect on that. So what we're not doing is necessarily giving them a mark for emergent learning, so much as working with them to narrate that, to reflect, to think about them, you know, the, the development of their own knowledge and skill base, so sort of thinking through metacognition, maybe meta emotion. So how did that learning make you feel and how does that transform you? Um, so there are very different types of narrative, very different types of evidence. And what, in, certainly not in short form here, sorry, um, what, what I'm trying to do with the learning impact map as a, as a, as a tool, as, a, as, a, as an approach, as a methodology, is for us to recognize that actually it's not just any single point that you might plot on it and attach evidence to it. It's the distribution of that. So it's the distribution of different elements in a learning process where you evidence that in ways that are appropriate, whether that's a reflection or it's a vocabulary test or it's a, you know, uh, some textbook work. I mean, I'm sort of you know, being a bit too simplistic here, but you can imagine lots of different types of evidence. And that distribution will show maybe a greater concentration on content-driven work. And then that provides a learner and a teacher in conversation to be able to say, well, actually, look, let's look at to see if we can, how we can enable more exploration or how we can you know, derive new experiences based on our prior learning and understanding that maybe sits outside the school or, you know, so the learner's bringing new experiences that are not necessarily delivered or controlled by the school. So that distribution, that profile of impact in terms of agency versus knowledge exchange and the evidence that goes with it then starts to create a profile over time. So if you profile in learning experience one and then two and then three and then four, you might have a profile for a learner over, a year, over the year, which shows the distribution puts greater emphasis on in in the different areas of the map. So it becomes like the, the, the uh, meteorological map I talked about earlier on. So you're kind of capturing the weather of learning. And in a way, if you can imagine, you will, you'll see on, on, on the website, bottom left looks like a landscape. And, and as you move towards top right, it's looking more like the weather. So in a way, what you're, you're showing is that the content-driven work is the, it has the same equivalent value as the exploratory in the in emergent process, um, and it's in combination that the real impact comes. And that, that's sort of, yeah, no, I was going to say that, that that's held together by reflection. So, so the, the last piece is, what can the learner say about that distribution and its relevance as well? Sorry. <laughs> What I'm really fascinated about here is that it, it creates this 
simultaneous existence or development in many ways of these different processes without saying that one is better than the other, that they're in competition and emergence is more important than structure, which is not ever the case in, in any case, because you have to emerge from structures and structures themselves are, um, are not alive without uh, some kind of, of, of emergence within them. I, I, and I'm wondering here also one of the complexities as, as you guide me through this, and I, you mentioned time, the structured piece, and tell me if I'm wrong, the structured piece feels very um, snapshotty in the sense, like you said, that 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 territory, that landscape, you even use the word landscape. Uh, so I could take a structured test and probably get the results instantaneously. Uh, you know, I, I, I get all this, it's right, right, wrong. Um, and also space doesn't really play much of a part because this is this and this is that. There, there's certain requirements. The emergent piece, as you mentioned, the weather, again, tell me if, if, if I'm understanding this, there's there's a there's there's a time component to it too where wherever you take the temperature of learning as you mentioned weather map i'm going to use that um but sometimes it's going to only be displayed way down the road that that emergence will only really mature take form be demonstrated whatever word you want to use maybe two years down the road and and that's the part that that teachers educators learners have to be comfortable with that we might not see the results later on. And it's not going to be in the space because the space also molds and, 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 cr and creates learning, uh, generates learning because, because of the way we, we, we interact with our environment. Yeah, absolutely. And it, and it, and I think the way, although it can't be seen at this point in time, you know, the way that this profiling from one learning instance to another, and you know, I say instance, because it's the point from which you create a map, let's say relevant to whatever you're doing, whether that, is a project, one lesson, a whole year. Um, so from one step to the next, one instance to the next, you're able to have conversations about, well, what's the potential here? Where can we go? What, what, you know, what's the next step? And so I like to think about, you know, going back to sort of Vygotsky's, you know, zones of proximal development. Well, so I, I, I talk in learning vectors, right? So what's the, what's the direction of travel? So accepting that there's a zone of proximal development, well, there might be multiple and there might be that, that actually what we're going to do is sort of have some coexist so that there's, well, we need some more structured content or, or skills development here. And then that will sort of super, you know, supercharge the next inquiry that might be three weeks down the line or as you say, two years. One of the things that I'm trying to do in this map, which now is going to get even more insane without <laughs> being able to see it, but is to be able to embed maps within maps so so you so so the time frame then becomes sort of spatial but it but it's 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 kind of collapsed in the sense that let's say the first thing you do is to create a, an impact map with four four plot points um because i've managed to demonstrate some structured semi-structured emergent learning and, and, and embedded something embedded that, that's a bit important um that single map as a circle that could become just one plot point in the next map so it's it's become prior learning for the next learning experience so so not that you'd want to see that all the time but we had to show those connections through time almost a collapse time so that you could then filter the map for anything that was an emerge in the emergent quantity or you could tag um you could tag a plot point uh, with the uh, let's say choose creativity. So you're wanting to see what creativity looks like across the entire schooling career of a student. Well, so then there's a map that would come from that that would show, you know, 
as a tag what the, the creativity. So what I'm, I suppose what I'm describing is ways in which we can collapse time and ways in which we can filter those impact points to show different types of connections and, and different types of project, um, you know, sort of progression, I guess, for, for students. But it's all about having a conversation because it's, you know, as with many graphs, <laughs> they, or, or, or profiles, they only mean something really if you, if you can, they mean something to, to the person that perceives them. And I think what, one of the things that's really important is developing awareness and capability in students so that they're able to then reflect upon, you know, a particular profile in a learning experience and think about what, where that could lead. Um, or make connections between different learning experiences and, and, and show that that impact. It's we're in we're in an emergent process ourselves. So one of the things you'll you'll see um, on on that website, learningmap.education, is um, really just the front page. But what we're what, what I'm doing is working with uh, 13 schools, um, and each of those schools is using the map to map different project work they're doing or part of the, the, the sort of regular curriculum. Um, and so that we can then, as a, as a research group, I suppose, look at what that ha has meant as an experience in terms of tracking growth and looking at um, individual learners. Um, part of what we're doing, which is going to excite me this year uh, even more, is to look at different ways of knowing and being. So, so that putting great emphasis on that, we're going to be working with um, some Aboriginal artists um, to look at the way in which representation of knowledge and, and, and cultural knowledge, individual knowledge, individual stories, you know, can take place. Um, and the narration is important as part of that. So really fascinated by you know, the concepts of song lines, for example, where knowledge is part of, you know, the, the landscape very much. It's a transgenerational, interconnected, um, embodied, um, lived experience uh, that that, it, that it, it exists as a sort of, you know, coexisting um, phenomena. Um, and so what can we learn from that? What can we learn from that um, way of looking at bodies of knowledge and understanding that sit across social, cultural, um, environmental, technological um, sort of uh, separators or, you know, divisions or distinctions? Um, and I think, you know, that gets, comes back to some of the work that you're doing around ecosystems and the way that, you know, um, the, the, the learner is part of a kind of interconnected sort of assemblage to go back to um, the Deleuze and Guattari stuff. But, you know, so, so this is this idea that they, there are coexistent um, elements or phenomena of great variety that, that are all equally relevant. And I think, I guess, when I talked about learning map as a profile, I think of it as an assemblage. So a student portfolio is a kind of assemblage of work, or as you, uh, you know, I've seen in your work, is sort of the engagement that a student has with their natural environment is this set of coexisting phenomena that they're, they're navigating. I mean, that sounds awfully, awfully sort of abstract, but but in a way, it's deeply authentic because it's it's it's, it's about that moment of experience. Um, and yeah, I think that's. That's um, really important as well because we, then we don't objectify the natural environment. The word nature objectifies quite strongly. And, um, and I think if, the more we can place emphasis on kind of subjectifying our experience, narrating it, 
collectively or individually um, speaks more to a, you know, perhaps that sort of way of thinking about coexistence with um, human and non-human beings, let's say, <laughs> to borrow a phrase from Timothy Morton. <laughs> Gosh, I mean, Michael, this opens up a, a whole, a whole portal. <laughs> I was going to say door, but it's really a portal of what, what, what these assemblages mean in this moment to moment and, and where we see ourselves in this point in time, but actually tracking our momentum at the same time. And, 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 and it does seem quite abstract, but, but it's also quite simple. We are right now <laughs> choosing to this reality that is not reality with a capital R uh, and we just play with that. And then we let it go to the next reality without a capital R and, and, and work along those. And, and of course, how do you accredit that? <laughs> how do you assess that? How do you authenticate it? How do you build trust in that as a, as a, you know, because it is quite abstract and, and actually, you know, one of the, my, um, if anyone was to say, you need to do more of this, it's fine, simple language that's immediately accessible. <laughs> and it's hard because if you're thinking in, you know, sort of highly conceptualized ways um, about experience and learning and as, as processes uh, and taking on, you know, different philosophical perspectives, let's say, um, actually how you distill that or clarify that um, so that it's, part of a learner's uh, understanding of vocabulary um, and then onwards to teachers and, you know, the school community and, and people who may wish to, you know, employ, employ them. So, um, you know, I think that's one of the things that reflection really helps with and narrating because telling the story of your learning is about making connections between different types of phenomena and showing their relevance as characters in your story to be a bit cheesy, but you know, that's, that's kind of it rather than it is, well, someone said I needed to learn this and I did this and they gave me this mark. Okay. That's very abstract. You know, that's, that's a very kind of unhuman sort of experience in, in many ways. Um, whereas if we were able to say, well, I had this idea, I tested it out in these different scenarios and I realized that my mate, Dave, you know, <laughs> had this skill base that, that we could work on and work with. And, you know, with it, you know, so it becomes a kind of narrative in itself, a narrative of exploration and, um, and that movement from specialization to the open kind of generalized, more abstract way of, of existing, I think is, you know, it's joyous often. Um, and, and being able to enable that in so many ways, you know, from, how the school operates and the community and the wider culture, um, as well as those individual learning experiences is, is, um, crucial because, you know, we can't, we can't, um, assume that those conditions exist for everyone. Um, and, and how that, you know, there, there are often great challenges to inquiry led projects or, you know, exploratory emergent learning, um, where it, where it's, I'm about to say resources, but I don't just mean resources that the space, the space won't allow potentially as well. And the structures won't allow. Um, so, you know, one of the things um, I've also done with the map and I won't go into a great load of detail here is to say, well, look, we could look at different aspects of the learning process. So we look at the learning process itself. So going from, 
you know, didactic teaching to differentiate it to scaffold it to modular and so on. So the process of learning. And then we can look at the action of the teacher as another lens. We could look at the impact for students. So if I'm teaching didactically as part of a highly structured learning process to develop concrete skills, and there's another layer, the skills layer, then what I expect from students is that they would imitate. So you get this chain of interconnected kind of lenses. And one of those is leadership. So what, what is the action of, of, of leaders, that's structural leaders within an organization, but also then thinking about students as leaders of their own learning and teachers as leaders of learning and co-leadership models. Um, so I've created a sort of set of correlating lenses as a way of looking at the learning sort of experience and, 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 and thinking about, you know, how each element or each sort of character within that is, is sort of correlating. I, I suppose, yeah, to go back to the other point, but it's thinking about that whole, thinking holistically about that, that, that um, is another kind of assemblage, I suppose. But all of those things need to happen in concert often to, to achieve those sorts of opportunities for, for students where there's the space for exploration is there, the resources to enable it. Well, Michael, I mean, as you know, I, I love this idea of stories of learning and you saying about characters and plot twists, I think actually isn't cheesy at all. I mean, it, it speaks a lot to me because that's, that's what makes things exciting. And it connects us also to this other piece about storytelling, which is emotion. And, and I think that if we try to extract all emotion from learning in order to, what is really the, uh, you know, rendering these grades, these marks, these points and a fetishization of that, uh, the, this, this, I'm going to mix my metaphors here, but, but the, the scores become sacred. Um, and at the same time, we, we, we see so much, we use it as currency. That's where I'm using mixing my metaphor, but, but that's what it is. And, and, and actually these, 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 these A's, these B's, these 43's, whatever, we, we assume that they have something value or that they're sacrosanct. I mean, again, we're just, whatever, we're just going to go flying wherever we want. But, but, but there's a story behind that uh, historically but there's no story of, of necessarily learning or there is, it, it doesn't become as obvious, even if there, it's just hidden behind other things. Well, exactly. And, and I mean, so you talked about, you know, having currency, I mean, well, ec the economics of that and, and you think about money as a proxy for value. Well, those scores are a proxy for value and they're only proxies. They're only representations of, of an outcome that, that are only capture one you know, aspects of it. And I think, again, going back to this idea of impact, which I know we both sort of share in a way, which is that it's, that it's open. It's not, it's, it's dynamic. It's, it's, it's all about potential rather than um, only being about, you know, that result or that score. So, right? so the more we can enable and allow for open reflections and ways of expressing learning and evidence in learning, the better, because I think in the end, you know, as a now to go anecdotally as a university lecturer, you know, when I'm looking at the admissions process, it's, so I get caught up in the structures too, of course. You know, um, what am I most interested in? Well, it's less the grades and it's more what a student can tell me about themselves. And that probably actually sounds like a fairly obvious thing to say. But so, so why don't we pay more attention to that? You know, <laughs> well, listen, Michael, thank you so much for your time. Thank you, Benjamin. It's been a great pleasure. And um, I look forward to um, working with you again soon. I hope maybe uh, Woodley or, or another place in this, uh, you know, in this, in this, on this journey. 
This has been the Coconut Thinking Podcast. Thank you so much for listening. I'm your host, Benjamin Freud, and you can find us on www.coconut-thinking.com. That's www.coconut-thinking.com. And also check us out on Intrepid Ed, www.intrepidednews.com. There's some wonderful authors there and podcast episodes and a ton of stuff that uh, is quite stimulating. In the meantime, we will talk to you soon. Bye-bye.